Thanks for checking out The Bridge Podcast, a ministry to St. Francis and the surrounding community. It's not a mistake you are here. We pray God speaks to you today. Service times are 9.30 and 11 a.m. Sunday mornings. Feel free to check us out at sfbridge.org. Have a life-giving week. I will say, um, before I get into anything, I just want to say a big, big thank you to uh, Pastor Chris uh, for having me come share with you guys. It's an honor anytime I get to share, especially with somebody that is not my congregation, but when I'm entrusted with somebody else's congregation, it's just a huge honor. And so... Pastor Chris and I do go way back, right around uh, 10, 10 years, something like that. And I think that would be safe to say. We were both youth pastors at the same time. So we had a lot of uh, camps that we went to. And then we had some overnighters and stuff like that that we, we, we tortured ourselves through because overnighters are just hard in general. Uh, but then we got involved in a cohort together. It was really, really fun because I got to know Chris on a much deeper level. I got to hear some of his life story. I got to hear uh, just some of his challenges. We were in a cohort with a leadership group that really just stretched us in our own leadership uh, uh, growth track that we were on. And uh, we just got to challenge each other, become friends of one another. And so I remember when he was wrestling with this idea of planting a church out here in uh, St. Francis. And I remember him saying yes to that call, and uh, I just remember having those conversations, and uh, it was uh, just a fun season that he was on, a challenging season, but you can see that uh, he answered the call, and a lot of you guys are fruit from that call that he had on his life, which is just so awesome. So he is an awesome, awesome pastor, and I love him, and uh, I'm honored to be able to come and share with you. But let me tell you a little bit about myself, because I hate it when a speaker comes and talks to somebody and doesn't really fill them in on who they are or what they're about. So uh, my name is Marcus, and I am a West Coast boy, born and raised on the Oregon coast. Uh, Born in Oregon and ended up growing up in Lakeside, Oregon, which is a small little beach town. We did not have... uh, fast food restaurant in town. We didn't have any stoplights in town. We didn't have a school in town. I'm talking one of those blink and you miss it kind of towns, small town. But don't worry, we did have four taverns. Typical small town life, right? You know, I mean, nothing else, but we had that and people needed Jesus there. Uh, But the cool thing about Lakeside, Oregon was it was walking distance to the Pacific Ocean. And and so I could could literally go for a jog in the morning, jog to the ocean and back home. And uh, I miss Oregon, love Oregon, but uh, God eventually moved me to Minnesota in order to find true love. It was in Minnesota that I actually met my wife, Kirsten. Uh, She is my better half. She makes me stronger. I love her. I do ministry together with her. And uh, she is is incredible. Now, with being uh, being in ministry, I thought I was going to be a youth pastor until the day I die. I mean, youth was where it was at. I was all in for youth ministry, and I began serving in youth ministry over at Emmanuel Christian Center. I spent 10 years over in, in, at Emmanuel, just loving on teenagers and pastoring them over there. And that's when then God called me and my wife out of Emmanuel and called us to Detroit, Michigan to love on teenagers over there for five years. And uh, it was in Michigan that we actually added to our team. We added my son, Ryder, who is five years old, and uh, he is all boy. We added uh, Adeline, who is our little girl, who is not as little anymore. She's three years old, and she is all girl. And then we added Libby, who is right now, right around one, entering into that toddler stage. She is incredible, and we have our fourth on our way. Am I losing battery? What's going on here? Let's see. We got full battery. Okay, I think we're good. Um, 
So we got our fourth on the way, going to be due in February. It's going to be a boy, and uh, that is our team. And uh, we do ministry together, and it's just awesome. So God called us out of youth ministry. I thought that it was going to be till I die, but it wasn't. God called us out of youth ministry. We went through this journey of sort of discovering what that call was going to be. Little did we know that it was going to be church planning. Matter of fact, church planning is the one thing I said I would never do. And uh, then I started praying on it and said, God, I want to do something that's God-sized, and I don't know what that is, but you need to show me. And through a long journey, God eventually put church planning and said, that's it. It was as clear as if I heard his voice, like I'm talking to you right now. And, and so we began that process of figuring out where and uh, through uh, meeting with some, some people, Clarence St. John, the district superintendent with the state of Minnesota here, uh, he, he sort of helped point us in, in a direction and we found ourselves locking into Rogers, Minnesota. So we're planting a church over in Rogers, Minnesota and it's going to be fall of 2017. We're pumped and excited. Little did we know that last year alone there was 3,500 churches that closed their doors. 3,500 churches. We had no idea. We had no idea. But when we heard that, we knew that we could be part of the solution, and the solution is by opening up new churches, right? And when we started to research Rogers, Minnesota, we found over three churches that had closed their door, and we also found out this. We found out that if every church in Rogers, I'm talking the Lutherans, the Catholics, every church in town, if they had two services like you guys had, but not just two services, I'm talking two services with every chair, a person, a, a butt in the seat, if they had two services with every seat full, there would not be enough room to house all the people that live in Rogers in those two services. And that's not projecting the 9,000 people that they're projecting to move into Rogers in the next coming years. Rogers is the fastest growing community in the state of Minnesota. So there is a need for churches to be there. Life-giving churches. I love your sign. A life-giving church. And we're going to plant a life-giving church there. And so if you want to know how you can help us, one, your church is already financially investing in us, which is huge. So thank you so much for being a church that believes in church plants. But also, will you be praying with us? Be praying that God gives us the right direction, right vision, right? Everything just sort of falls into place. We've got a prayer team that prays an hour a week for us. And we have over uh, 84 people on that team right now, but we always are adding more people. So will you just be praying for us as we plant this church? Also, well, if you know somebody that lives over in the Rogers community, come talk to me after service. I would love to meet them because that's what we're doing is we're meeting people in the community right now. And so we got a lot of work before we launch that we have to do before before we get to that weekly services like you guys have here. So that's a little bit about me. That's a little bit about uh, who I am and what we're doing. But now, uh, will you just pray with me as we get ready to dive into God's Word? Because that's what we're all here is. We're here to dive into God's Word and learn something together. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for being our Creator, the one living God, the one true God. God, I pray right now that you give us minds to understand and eyes to see and ears to hear. Open us up to receive something that we can leave with this morning. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, everybody said, amen. Everybody loves a good story, isn't that right? Everybody does. Everybody loves a good story. Just look at the movies. If you were to go to the movies, you would see that everybody loves a good story. It seems that they're always filling the theaters, and the theaters through movie are generating literally millions of dollars. Anybody want to take a quick guess on what movie, I'm talking a, a movie came out when you were a kid to today, 
all the movies that have ever been produced, which movie do you think generated the most money? Not the best movie, but generated the most money. Anybody want to take a quick guess? Yes. Avatar. And this guy knows his movies because he is right. In 2009, Avatar came out and produced the most money. Now, it was maybe not the best movie. If you're into sci-fi, maybe it was. But here's the deal. According to the numbers.com, this movie generated a lot of stinking money. I think we got a slide here that shows the domestic box office score, the international box office score, and the world box office score. Over $2 billion. Now this number is probably still increasing because people keep buying the DVD. We got Christmas coming up. People are buying that DVD as a gift and that means that number is probably going to eventually reach over $3 billion. That's a lot of stinking money, right? I mean, it's a little bit crazy. And if you think about it, it this proves my point that everybody loves a good story because we're willing to spend a lot of money in order to partake in a couple hours of watching a good story. But it goes farther than just the movies, doesn't it? Matter of fact, we just got done with a family gathering of Thanksgiving, right? The family comes, and, and when family all gets together, there seems to always be that one crazy uncle or that one grandpa that seems to sort of gather everybody around, and they all listen to the stories that he tells. Even though the story is the same as last year and the year before that. They can tell the same stories, but they're life experience stories, and it gathers everybody in because they have a certain way of telling it. They have a certain way to captivate the audience. They have a certain way of drawing you in, and therefore you want to hear them share that story again and again and again. And you want your kids to hear their stories. Why? Because there's something about stories, right? Or maybe you can think back, rewind the clock to when you were a kid, and your mom and dad used to read you bedtime stories, right? Or maybe you have kids yourself, and you can remember reading them, or are in that season of reading them bedtime stories. See, there's something about a good story that we all love. Now, I want to ask you a question, and you don't have to answer it out loud, but I just want you to answer this in your head right now, okay? I want you to think for a moment. What is your favorite all-time story that you ever heard? Just think. Boom, you have it, don't you? Because you don't have to think very hard to think of what your favorite story is. It's just there. Even though it might have been told to you years and years and years ago, even though it might have been a fictional story, that story is your favorite. Why? Because that story actually tapped into your emotions. You see, Jesus knew that everyone loves a good story. A good story can have a lot of power because it taps into those emotions. Anybody remember this book right here? I brought this book. Anybody remember this book? This is where the red fern grows, right? It's a kid book. Maybe you read it in school, huh? It's a book, and uh, I actually did not read this book in school, okay? I uh, heard a lot of people talk about this book, but I had never read it in school. I knew it was a classic. I knew it was a kid's book, but I was actually a young adult when I finally got this book and read it. I love dogs. Always have. I've had some incredible dogs in my lifetime, and uh, dogs have a special place in my heart, and it's a dog story. And I, I, I kept hearing people talk about this. So finally, as a young adult, I said, you know what? It's a classic. I don't care. It's a kid's book. I'm going to read this book because this is a book that I need to read just because it's about dogs. So I went to the bookstore, and I bought this book, and I went home to my apartment, and I began to read this story. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with this book 
Because as a dog lover, I got engaged right away. I couldn't put this book down. It's a little kid. He's coon hunting with these hounds that he worked for. And, and they got this incredible bond that sort of comes together. But all of a sudden, if you know the story, spoiler alert, there comes a point where the dogs have to what? They have to pass away. They have to die, right? And so that just sort of hits those emotional chords. And I can remember sitting there on my couch reading this story with tears literally streaming down my face. And I'm not talking just crying just a little bit. I can remember crying so hard that I would lose my spot because I'd be sitting here and just bawling and I'd have to go to the top of the page again and start all over to read that sad part all over again just so I didn't miss anything. And it was like if somebody would have walked into my apartment on that day, they would have saw a young adult crying his face off in the middle of, uh, of the couch and they would have thought somebody in my family must have passed away. But it wasn't even a true story. It wasn't even a true living dog. It was just somebody's fictional story. But it tapped into my emotions. And it hit a chord. And I'll never forget that story. Matter of fact, it is one of my favorite stories of all time. I have a love-hate relationship with it. But because it tapped into an emotion, it became a very special place in my heart. Now, Jesus told many stories in order to connect better with his followers in order to connect better with his audience or those that were, were sort of trying to learn from him. And they called these stories parables. A story with a meaning, with a teaching that would go with it. Now today I want to tell you two stories that Jesus told. You see, Jesus had two main groups of people that seemed to always be following him. One was the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they had it all together. They were the religious group. They, they sort of, they, they, they had the nice clothes. They had everything sort of going their way. They knew Scripture. Now, the Pharisees, they didn't really like Jesus too much because Jesus also knew the Scriptures probably better than they did, and he sort of stirred things up for them. So they didn't really like Jesus, but they always seemed to be following Jesus. The second group of people that always seemed to be following Jesus were the outcasts. Now, the outcasts, they didn't have it all together. But for some reason, they loved Jesus. And they always seemed to be following Jesus. They loved Jesus because Jesus made them feel accepted. You see, the outcasts, they were less than in everybody else's eyes. But I believe that they also had some feelings that were very similar to the feelings that you and I feel on sometimes a daily basis. See, I believe that the outcasts had these feelings of feeling sometimes insecure. Have you ever felt insecure? Or have you ever felt maybe overlooked or insignificant? I believe that these people, they followed Jesus, and I believe they had some of those same feelings. But these feelings would fade away when they hung around Jesus. Why? Because Jesus would accept them as they were. So this one time, Jesus had both groups, the Pharisees and the outcasts. And they're both following him. And Jesus begins to tell a story. And you can look up this story and read this story in Luke chapter 15, verse 4 through 7. It's going to be up on the screen. I'm just going to read it, and then we'll break it down. It says this. It says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. And then he calls up his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. 
I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Stop right there. Now this story makes no sense. Okay? It doesn't. Now we are not shepherds, and we don't have probably sheep, right? But let's break this down, because that was sort of their culture, their time frame, and so let's sort of go to that culture, that time frame, and sort of see what's sort of going on. A sheep is not a dog, (laughs) right? If you have a dog and a dog goes missing, you will go and you will make these flyers, you'll put flyers up around and and you will go out and look for your dog. Why? Because your dog becomes sort of adopted into the family. You have a love relationship with that dog. He is your pet and you don't want to lose a pet. If you lose a pet, you will go look for a pet. But let me tell you something about a sheep. How many of you have a sheep as a pet? Right? A sheep is not a pet. It's not. It doesn't have this emotional connection with the family. A sheep in this time period would have been a product, not a pet. It would have been a product that would eventually become a meal. You would eat it. It would be a product that would produce your clothing. Right? And in that culture, it would be a product that you would use sometimes as a sacrifice. Now, those are the three things that you would use a sheep for. You wouldn't use a sheep to cuddle on the couch at night. You wouldn't let the sheep crawl into your bed and sleep at the foot of your bed. No, you wouldn't because it wasn't that kind of, of pet. It was a product. So when one goes missing and you still have 99 other products, sheep, You have no reason to leave your 99 in order to go find this one sheep. You have plenty of meals with the 99. You have plenty of clothing with the 99. So this story really makes no sense. And and everybody that heard this story would have been thinking through that lens. These are sheep. They're products. What in the world? There would have been a little bit of confusion. But see, Jesus is making a point here that is a very, very important point for us to understand and for us to catch. He is saying this, that the one, the one is worth risking it all in order to save. He's saying that the one less than was more important than the 99 better thans. See, this idea here that he's explaining is really unbelievable. See, the best part about this story is that when the man actually finds the sheep and brings the sheep back, he throws this big old party with his friends. He doesn't sit it down and give it a big old lecture and say, well, you should have never. Instead, he he opens up his arms and he says, welcome back to the fold. Welcome back to the family. And he gets his friends together and he says, let's party. Why? Because the one that was lost is now found. To make sure that the people that were following, they were hearing this parable, this teaching, this story, to make sure that they understood the point, Jesus actually tells them one more story. And Luke chapter 15, verse 8 through 10, he just jumps right into the next story. He he, he says this, he says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who, what? who repents. Different story, 
but the same exact idea. The bottom line is this. God cares about lost things. If you have to write that down, if you have to do whatever you have to do to get that into your head, I want you to get this. This is the bottom line today. God cares about lost things. It's the moral of the story. God cares about lost things. And God cares about making sure that everyone understands their value to Him. See, no matter what you've done or no matter who you are, He wants you to know that you are valuable to Him. See, the reason Jesus told these stories was because He wanted people to understand how valuable they were to Him. That He would be willing to risk it all in order to save the one. See, it doesn't matter what someone had done or hasn't done. You were worth dying for simply because you were part of his creation. And because of this, God will never stop searching for you. He'll never stop searching for you. Because from the moment Adam and Eve messed up in the garden or, or sinned in the garden, from the moment of that separation, God has put together a rescue mission in order to seek and save you. Now, there is a word that Jesus ends both stories with that I don't want you to miss. And it's this. It's repent. It's a simple word, but it's also a word that we don't really like because it means that we did something wrong. But this is the very thing that God actually celebrates, is the sinner who repents. Because when we repent, it's the moment that we begin to show change. It's the moment that we begin to accept his rescue. You see, he's on a rescue mission, but he will never force you to be rescued. If you were in the Coast Guard and somebody is out there and they're floating in the water, if you don't want the Coast Guard to rescue you, there's not much they can do in the water in, unless they're going to knock you unconscious, right? You have to cooperate with them. And the same is true with God. He's not going to force you to come back with Him. See, He's going to seek you. He's going to search for you. And when He finds you, you have to repent. You have to show that, hey, yes, I am lost. Yes, I need rescued. And when you repent, it's a way of accepting His rescue into your life. It's the thing that will actually bring you closer to Him. And see, when you do that, when you repent and you become closer to Him, then you begin to see God differently. You begin to see him differently. And not only do you see God differently, but you also begin to see yourself differently because you stop looking at yourself through your own eyes and you begin to look at yourself through God's eyes. And when you look at yourself through God's eyes, you begin to see that you yourself are prized, that you are significant, that you matter, and that you are worth going after at all costs, even the cost of the cross. Pastor Matt and the worship team, you can come on up. We're going to get ready to close. 
You are worth going after at all costs, even the cost of the cross. So if you're here today and you haven't had that moment where God has reached out and rescued you, then this is going to be your moment. It's going to be your moment. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with your creator. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize that, yeah, you have done some things that you shouldn't have done and that you are separated from him. To say that you're lost, you're like, no, I know where I am, I'm at church. But the truth of the matter is spiritually, you're looking, you're searching, and maybe you feel it on your heart right now, there's something pulling. See, the Bible is very clear. It says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. But then it goes on to say, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. It's spelled out pretty clear. We've all messed up, but all we have to do is accept his rescue. Accept what he has done on the cross for our mistakes for our sins. So if you're here this morning and you say, you know what? That's me. I need to accept his rescue. I need to accept him into my life. And I just want everybody to sort of just take a moment, bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you feel a tugging on your heart this morning to say yes to your creator, say yes to his rescue, I just want you to raise your hand on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Is there anybody? See those two hands in the back. Yeah, that one there. Awesome. Lord, I just pray, Father, for these three that just raise their hand saying yes to your rescue. I pray, Father, Lord God, as they come back to you, Lord, I pray, Father, that there will be a party. Lord, I pray, Father, that they start that process of seeing you differently, seeing themselves differently, seeing themselves as prized. Lord, I pray, Father, that you will draw them closer to you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. For those that just raise your hand, will you do this for me? Will you tell Pastor Chris, one of the leaders here at church, one of your friends that brought you, or tell somebody what you just did? Because it's the start of seeing yourself differently, seeing him differently. It's the start of going to a deeper place with him. And I know that he has good things in store for you. But for everybody else, and for those that just raised their hands, I want to share one last thing before we go back into another song. See, we just said that verse in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that says, For everyone is sin, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. It's an important verse, and it's a verse we see, see in here on a regular basis, right? A lot of you have it memorized, but... When we really realize what that verse is all about, then something has to change inside of us. Because we begin to realize that we too were once lost. That we too were once separated from our Creator. But there came a moment when we became found. When we really understand that verse, we realize we were once lost and now hopefully we are found. See, that verse should affect each and every single one of us to the core of who we are. Because when you realize what it's like to be found, 
it will move you to a place of action. When you really realize what it feels like to be found, then you are going to have to do something. What do you have to do? When you really feel it inside, well, found sheep, find sheep. Found people, find people. Because you know what it's like to not have a place. You know what it's like not to have a home. You know what it's like to be lost and adrift. And so found people, find people. See, our mission as Christians, as Christ followers, is to seek to discover and to reach people for Christ. It is. And so I want to give you one action step that we can all leave with this morning. Something that I want to challenge you to do this week. And that is this. I want to challenge you to go and look for someone that is lost. This week. And I want you to be intentional about it. And you be intentional about it by one, praying about it, but I don't want you to just pray about it. I want you to go find somebody that is lost and I want you to engage with them. Maybe invite them to service next week. Maybe have just a spiritual conversation. Maybe invite them over for dinner. And it doesn't mean that you have to get them saved that week. Just build a relationship with somebody that is lost. Because if you can create a relationship with them and you're really connected to Christ, Christ will flow through you and they'll want him. Accept. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.